Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo decoded report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestion, endo aligned product matching in your state, suggested dosage guidelines, and optimum methods of administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeka soft gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeka Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to the Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we're joined by Matt Cohen from Purewana, America's first live cannabis spirit. But first, we're going to talk about California's market. Nikki. Yay. <laughs> Tom, what's going on in California? Am I coming in clear? I feel like a chop. I'm trying yeah, to... Yeah, no, you're good. To me, you seem clear, but you know, I can never tell. It's one of the problems of doing a live show on the internet. Somebody is usually drinking your milkshake. Uh, if for the Los Angeles Times reporting, it is for, uh, do you know what percentage of California's license holders don't have their full license? I don't know, because I mean, you're talking about traditional market versus recreational, right? Uh, like, the traditional market does not require a license. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, you're asking what percentage, and there's people operating who. You oh, know. yeah, perhaps. But uh, as a result of these onerous regulations, 82% of the state's cannabis licenses still hold provisional licenses as of April. And so there's these two levels of licenses that exist in California. Mm. So when California voters appro- approved Prop 64 five years ago, they uh, directed the legislature to create a legal, well-regulated cannabis market. And of course, they have not done that. But it's only been five years. What's five years when you tune into cannabis legalization news thanks for joining us if you think license limits are garbage smash that like and then uh let's talk about what's going on with the uh the licenses out in california so there's these provisional licenses and they were awarded those provisional licenses and then they have to make the transformation from the provisional temporary license they have to renew every year to a permanent one which they also have to renew every year and that is a costly complicated and time-consuming review of the negative environmental effects involved in a business plan for and a business plan for reducing those harms i I, so you know the the article is 100 million is going towards to help change this industry i just think it's kind of funny they made uh what i say revenue three billion according to uh institute on taxation and economic policy so it it just seems to me like they're investing 100 million for more of that stable tax revenue you know what i mean like 
Well, they should. How hard uh, is it, though, to, 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 to change it from like when Oregon went from medical to recreational? It was just a turn of the hat, right? You just all of a sudden there's no no application process. Why couldn't they just say, OK, you you do have this temporary one. We're going to make them all permanent now. What, what, what if they uh, what if the traditional markets like, hey, we're fine. Well, let's just make this uh, regulated market impossible to navigate. And then both both of them win. You can have the good people that have their licenses and then the other people that believe in like, I don't need a license. I'm just going to I know what the law says. I don't care. I've been in cash my whole life. Well, that, that's happening still. I mean, there was just a, a $500 million raid in, in L.A. County or some shit like that, like a, a huge grow, which probably was operating normally every day like under the medical guys. Right. Like it was a medical and then people transitioned to this BS recreational market. But but why 100 million? Why, it just seems to me like it's paperwork issue. Then why? Out of that hundred million, twenty-two million of it's going to LA, and the city's going to hire experts and staff to assist businesses in completing the environmental studies and traditioning the licenses to help legitimate businesses succeed. So they have to do all these environmental studies, and who's doing those? You know, oh, I see. So like that—that's where this this money will be going to, most likely studies and and. I mean, it's not really going to like helping aid someone to pay for these fees or whatnot. It makes it sound like that. All these fees, they do make it more expensive to do the uh, the cannabis business. But then the environmental studies. okay, great. Are you telling me that you don't understand what cannabis does to the environment? Is that why they have to do the environmental studies or is it a feasibility? So they aren't going to impact the environment at all. A lot of the time with the anti-nuisance parts of the application, they have to go above and beyond those to ensure that their operations aren't going to be uh, impacting their environment in a negative way. It seems to be an environment study at this point, though. You can see the effects already for these. You know, California has a long history of cannabis. You know, our, our guest coming up is a, uh, a California uh, uh, in the regulated side of things, which I find quite interesting. That's right. And so the governor also wants to give cannabis businesses six months uh, beyond the January 1st deadline to transition from these provisional licenses to complying with the uh, California Environmental Quality Act. So not only that, I mean, when you get that license, then you got to comply with all these other regulations like the Environmental Quality Act in California. Well, hopefully you do that already. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they do. I mean, like sometimes agricultural operations are exempt from certain air quality things. So like in Colorado, uh, because cannabis is an agricultural crop, they have exemptions from a lot of the regulations, the nuisance regulations, which you know depends on which state we're looking at. So in this one, it doesn't look like they have that mandates from the California Environmental Quality Act. Because, you know, that's what I think about in, in, uh, in California, quality environments. And so they, they do have opposition from delaying the promised environmental safeguard. And those have not been included in the state budget bill uh, that was approved on Monday, and it's still being negotiated. But why? This all just seems very excessive because, you know, for this, they make make it harder than it has to be. You know, you you have these provisional licenses. You know who wants to be the, the, the players in the market. Just let them. You know, how, how hard in and, and the environmental studies. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, as we said before, you know, you like the regulation all the way from sea to cell. I think certain things like uh, uh, I mean, I agree, like once something gets weighed into the regular market, that's when, you know, like 100 pounds of broccoli gets checked out before it gets it leaves the farm. It doesn't get checked from the beginning of the seed. Right. So same thing. But in California, uh, they have the ability to, to, to make this what right. 
but they, they're making it harder than it has to be. And it just seems to be that the, the politics, you know, California is not the hippy dippy land that most people think it is. I'm from Oceanside, San Diego, and San Diego has a hard on against fucking weed for some reason. Like they've been fighting medical for years. And I think our guest might be able to, to test to that if he's from California. Like he knows more about it because yeah, I spent 10 I mean, years in the military in between. So I don't. Right. Remember. And then the state officials, you know, after Prop 64 in 2016, which again, five years ago, they thought that they were going to get as many as 6,000 cannabis shops in the first few years. But you know any permits they've issued instead? Yeah, because how hard did they make it? It's, it's, it's a thousand, like just a 1,086. You know, and again, it's just like in, every state's fucked it up. Every state so far has their own issues of how regulation should be. But like, I agree, like, you know, like the nuisance stuff or the, you know, checking the plant, you know, pesticides, certain things should be regulated about this plant, like uh, air regulation. Definitely. Like if you're doing business like that, the place that got raided, I would hopefully they already had all the proper charcoal filters and whatnot. And they're just being dinged for being a grow, which yeah. is still horrible. But right. there's certain things that you can do and abide by, I think. Certain this bill was just approved on Monday the, to give all this money. It's that hundred million dollars, and it identifies 17 cities because there's a lot of local control in California cannabis. And among those cities are Los Angeles, they get the largest one, and then there's Long Beach, San Francisco, Oakland Commerce, Adelanto, and Desert Hot Springs. Which one do you think our guest is from? LA, right? Well, let's find out. <laughs> hey, Matt. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for coming on Cannabis Legalization News. Can you introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Matt Cohen. I'm the CEO of Lively Spirits. What is Lively Spirits? Lively Spirits is a company that makes beverages focusing on dry spirits. So uh, spirits made from psychotropic plants that are in a powder form factor. Uh, to power uh, alternative to alcohol cocktails. Our first brand is Purewana, and Purewana delivers a strain-specific aroma, taste, and effect to your cocktail. And I love that you source, you're vertically integrated, correct? Uh, from the factory backwards, yes, up the supply chain. We don't, we don't have, we're not vertical with retail. Uh, so then you guys own every single step of it uh, from we your can, growers or do you have contracts with the growers? We and control, the- we control it, it. You know, you know, we have contracts with the nurseries that hold our genetics. We have contracts with the farms that go to our best practices and, and have oversight from our supply chain manager. Uh, and then we we're the we're the guys that tell it, say that's ready. Let's pick it. And we haul it off. Wow, that's awesome. And that's really cool. How many uh, different licenses do you have to work with? Because you have these contracts, you guys hold a license. How many other licenses before that supply chains hits your operation? So there's the nursery license. There's the transport license that brings the clones to the farm. There's the cultivation license that grows the material. Same transport license moves it back to the processing facility. And then the processing facility moves it to distro. And after it comes out of quarantine, it then finds its way to the delivery services and to the retailers. Wow. Look at that. That is uh, a fully 
established licensing scheme, unlike the uh, very crude ones that we have in Illinois, where we just don't hand out licenses. But, uh, you know, there's that. Yeah, you, well, you, you got you both extremes, right? You got the merit-based licensing states where the licenses are probably worth $20 million, the piece of paper themselves. Yeah. And then you got these, like, you know, these non-merit-based licenses. As long as you qualify, you can get a license on West on the West Coast. Uh, and it is all, you know, if you're an MSO, you, you like the merit-based licenses. You know, yes, uh, because then you don't have to compete. Right. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur that's bootstrapping, you probably should be on the West Coast. So how long has uh, Pure Wanda been around? Or you guys been around with, with the – how long have you, Matt, been involved with cannabis per se? A long time, my whole life. So I uh, I got into the legal cannabis business in 1998, right on the heels of Prop 215 passing. I was a grower for the three dispensaries in the world that existed back then, um, and then ended up running the dispensaries and got into the technology side of the business and uh, the manufacturing side of the business. I became a regulatory consultant at one point to Washington State as they implemented their uh, recreational use laws. Founded, co-founded the Emerald Growers Association, which is now the California Growers Association. Um, I was listening to your conversation before I got on. You guys should really have Kristen Nevidal on this on, on this because she'll she'll break it all down to you, all the pros and cons and what's wrong with the regulations and what's and what works. She is an absolute expert at it, and she used to be the executive director over at Emerald Growers Association. Now she's got her own consulting firm. Well, you, you you've been in California based. I mean, uh, you've done consulting out of state, but like you're business size just being in California because it seems like there's enough hurdles to keep you busy just in that state alone. Yeah, you know, we incorporated in in Oregon partially because it, there was another leader at the time, and I took over the company about a year and a half ago. Uh, we decided to focus entirely on California. I absolutely think that it's all about focusing on California. California is the biggest market in the world. If you can get your brand to stick in California, you'll be good. <laughs> yeah, if you can actually get your brand in the limited MSO market states, but they're trying to make their own larger brands. So, like, it really stinks that we can't even get craft cannabis going in Illinois. Uh, that's where you would have these types of brand synergies where you have the smaller brands, I would assume, unless you want to be working with the MSOs. We don't. Uh, I mean, hey, I'm open to any proposal anybody wants to put in front of me. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, Mondavi's not going to, you know, pick up their vineyard out of Napa County and move it to Illinois and, right. be the same company. and we're in the exact same boat as them. You know, we are, you know, this is all about the, you know, the material, the cost of the material, the quality of the material. It's garbage in, garbage out. And mm. always never going to be able to, you know, compete on the cost of goods and the quality that California can. Cannabis is definitely regional, right? Sorry? Uh, good cannabis is definitely regional, you know, like Appalachian. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can find some dank flour in some, uh, you know, areas that you wouldn't have predicted before. But the reality is, is that, you know, you want this stuff to be as close to the equator as possible, as dry as possible, as high in elevation as possible, as cool at nights as possible. You know, and there's only it's Mediterranean climate and that's not yep. Illinois. No, it is not. But it is uh, south of Spain, maybe, or like, you know, Italy or what about Greece? You think we could grow? some bomb weed in Greece? I think you could find some place to grow some bomb. If you can grow decent grapes, you can probably grow decent weed. Mm. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, the, the Dutch, you know, one of my lives in this 20 year 
career was bringing Dutch uh, greenhouse technology to the U.S. through a, a company called Trike, T-R-I-Q. And as I was working with the Dutch companies and getting them familiar with the cannabis business, I learned that the Dutch, when they first came to the United States, uh, they went straight to Wilcox, Arizona, because Wilcox, Arizona was the most southern close to the equator as possible. It was high in elevation, so it was closer to the sun, and it was very low. It wasn't extreme temperatures, and it was dry, and it was the perfect place to set up big, giant greenhouse greenhouse production. It was also on the I-10, right, so for the distribution. But, uh, wow. you know, that's the way to think about it. I think a lot of people think, yeah. like, Humboldt, Mendo, right? It just happens to be that that's where the stuff's been grown forever. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I've lived in Mendo for 20 years, but I, I can grow better weed in Santa Barbara. So, <laughs> wow. yes, but those those areas don't exist all that much in the in the world. Now, with the Arizona, are they going to have enough water? I mean, like we just start putting up a crap load of uh, greenhouses there. What would happen? Wilcox has enough water and these high tech greenhouses capture water from the sky, too. So the, it just depends on where you are and where the, you know, the, the reservoirs are on the ground. There's a will, there's a way, right? I mean, <laughs> if you got the water, yeah. you got to have the sun, you got to have the people. I mean, like somebody's got the humidity. Well, the humidity, of course, matters. And so, like, do you think that humidity coming off uh, the Bay Area or like wherever you're growing those those grapes in the morning before the sun gets up there and burns it off, and then the opposite at night, does that even contribute? Yes, it contributes to botrytis. Botrytis is uh, some type of fungus. Botrytis is bud rot. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a type of fungus. Yeah, it is a fun type of fungus. By you know, in terms for everybody listening, it's bud rot. But like farming is definitely like you know, prohibition has definitely helped create this plant. Like cultivars in each region, like Northwest and Canada, were like the predominant back in the day. You know, California always had with like you were saying Humboldt and the you know the Golden Triangle and whatnot. But like. You're saying the ideal growth is like the dry, high areas. But don't you also think like the farming technique, like in each place, you know, you're saying the weeds always going to be greater in the, in the well, ideal place. Of, hey, I mean, I'm coming from the Emerald Growers Association history. And, you know, we used yeah. to talk about Appalachian controls and terroir, you know, and but I think that's more about the culture. Right. It's mm. like like if you're in Burgundy and you're talking about grapes, it's all about terroir. It's all about that dirt, right? But if yeah. you're talking about cheese, like Rockford cheese, I think it's more about the people and the process, right? <laughs> and I think with cannabis, it's more about the people and the process. So if you're talking terroir, than is about the dirt itself. Now, I think you can make arguments for the dirt, for sure. Uh, and uh, But I haven't seen an AB study that totally proved it to me that, yep, I can taste that goat shit, you know, like, <laughs> but uh, can you taste, can you taste the difference between like outdoor and indoor, um, uh, the flavor profiles of really good outdoor weed grown in California? Does that beat like premium indoor flower? In my opinion? Yes, it mm. definitely does. Mm. Uh, living soil, um, intense sun. Uh, you can't beat that. Yeah. Well, I hope to try it one day and be great. If you guys could export your weed. And you do. It's just not allowed. <laughs> it, it, they're doing it, and you're just not supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. One day, yes. Yeah, so you got to come to California for some cannabis tourism if you want to experience Purana. And by the way, if you do, we have some really cool events. You can sign up for our website and come belly up to the bar and have cannabis cocktails. Awesome. No kidding. Where's uh, Where's the website? 
Purewana.com, P-U-R-E-J-U-A-N-A.com. And then the the in L.A.? We're, we're all over the state. All over the state. That's oh, great. The events are primarily happening in L.A. right now because we can deliver right to your door from the website in L.A. Oh, nice. But, but throughout the state, though, you're also doing events or just primarily? Yeah, we're focused on L.A. right now. We've been in the market for three months, so it's still early days for us. Uh, and COVID, you know, is coming yeah. to an end. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're just, you know, it's, we're being as aggressive as we can um, down in L.A. Okay. Good time to do it, though. I think uh, the pandemic is wrapping up like uh, here in Seattle. I'm in Seattle. Uh, getting so fucking busy. It's like traffic again and uh, people again. And you're like, ah, why are there lines everywhere? And then at the same time, our mask mandate is going to be wrapping up. Uh, you know, they're talking about the end of the, the week or whatever. And, you know, it's been a weird year. So you guys are coming in at a great time. What? So these events that you're offering for drinking, like, is it at like your facilities or is there like just on site somewhere like a place that we can people sign We're up doing private events right now. Uh, mm. you know, the, the ideal situation I think is that these social consumption lounges, um, you know, work with the state to change some of the rules so they can actually serve cocktails. Right. Because if you own a lounge, how much money do you think you're making with somebody sitting there eating gummy bears? Right. Oh. Um, or, or even smoking joints, even like you sold the joint at the point of sale. Right. Now you're in the lounge. You're not mm. making money on that square footage anymore. If somebody if a waitress was coming up and serving you cocktails, you'd be making money. Right. You're continuing. Yeah. Sell. So ideally, the lounges start realizing how to monetize, right? Because I don't think everybody wants to every Friday and Saturday night go eat a medicated meal. You know, I think that the masses, uh, you know, can't you know, beverage is a lot more approachable, and it needs to be in that social familiar setting. So what, what we're doing is we're emulating that. We're yeah. we're taking over bars. Uh, nice. drying the bars out and doing dry bars with, with pure water cocktails. We partner nice. with uh, the world's leading mixologists. So if you go to our website, you can see all the world's leading mixologists have put on uh, excellent re- uh, cocktail recipes. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. So we're just trying to, we're just trying to have that ritual all over LA and get people to realize like, wow, this is an alternative way to, you know, socially imbibe. And yeah, how do we, we, we do one of those on here to try to stay compliant at 20 past the hour, which it is. So we're going to do a small uh, little break. I can't smoke at the uh, secret location I'm at right now, but uh, I did smoke. So, you know, going back to like cultivars and whatnot, you know, I think here in Washington, uh, seed to sell. The big thing is people are fearing are the uh, the lack of right, like the potato famine that happened, where the lack of varieties and shit like that. I smoked this Danny DeWito. Has anybody ever heard of this shit? That's hilarious. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Like, the, you the, think the, he's gonna sue them like Skittles? Oh hell no, Skittles. dude! If I was Danny DeVito, I'd be like, yes, thank you. But uh, well, yeah, and you'd say, but here's the, the licensing or contract from my attorney. <laughs> yeah, that's like just right. The 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 uh, see, Danny DeVito wouldn't have been the guy that sued you. It'd be his agent. He's like, fuck Ooh. that. I get ten percent of that noise. Exactly. <laughs> but like you know, I'm, like I've recently fell in love again with God's gift, right? Like like I've never been one to like say this is the strain I want to smoke, except for Blue Dream back in the day. For some reason, people were going growing blue dream everywhere and i was like i recognize this opposed to like you know when we buy weed back in the day be like yo this is fire and that's all you call it <laughs> you know or this is red hair 
you know, I'll call it by what it looks like, you know, but, uh, uh, God's gift, you know, these older strains, uh, Matt, do you think like, cause you're got that background, uh, do strains, uh, grow better in certain areas now? Since we're talking about the, the best place to grow, is it the best strain locations to grow? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's strains that evolved indoors. I mean, they were they were they were bred indoors, grown indoors, right? So the they're they're set up for that. Mm. I've found that you bring them outdoors, they they work fine too, you know. Uh, but yeah, there's been there's there's strains that favor different environments. But overall, it's all about the proper fertilization, bright, you know, maximum ventilation, and you know. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward with most strains. I mean, I've done enough, you know, production in my, my past to see fields of 50 different strains and you can treat them all the same way, you know, and they all perform. Now, could you cater to one strain more than another and, and get it to express more? Yes, you can do that. Um, but I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's move it towards the coast. I don't think it's move it up North, you know, and, and I'm not even sure it means moving indoors either. But a lot comes down to the grower, right? The farmer himself, the person paying attention to the plant and, and you know, thinking about it. Because you do have to be reactive sometimes to her. Yeah. Or, but the danger, the number one dilemma, the number one error of new farmers is overanalyzing everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it's like you start reading those books and you start looking at phosphorus deficiency and you're looking at the leaves and you're going, that's what it is. Let's give it and an they extra. Never show, they never say it's the pH imbalance, you know, well, and the messed up thing. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's it, it, it's keep it simple, folks. You know, mm. <laughs> that's what I think. Nice. So what uh, let's go back into the uh, the cocktails and the bar atmosphere that you're uh, bringing this brand out at. What's your signature product drink? I don't think we have like a here's the the drink. Right. It's like if you were to, you know, but I guess, you know, if you were to ask Hendrix Gin what their drink is, it's probably a gin and tonic or something. Right. Um, You know, I know that with Purewana as the guy that's consumed probably more than anybody on the planet, you know, I, I I gravitate towards premium light tonic and clubs and club soda with lots of bubbles, like a Tapa Chico has a lot mm. of bubbles in it. Right. And do 50, 50 that way, all of the it's available usually at every bar, at every store, you can get this stuff. It's two things to mix on ice in a bucket. And it also allows the strain to come through. I, I really would like the flavor of the strain and the aroma of the strain. I don't want to mask it. Mm. There's several recipes on our website though, that if you want to get crazy, you know, you can do all sorts of stuff, <laughs> you know, yes. uh, really tasty you know recipes that some that mask the strain and some that don't oh man i really enjoy the taste of strains as well that would be fascinating what's the process that you guys use to be able to lock in the 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 terp profile of that strain then uh well you know it starts with the starts with the strain starts with growing that strain to peak performance which means you know you gotta have a good cultivator you gotta have the right environment and it's gotta be picked the right day so many people pick way too early Hmm. um and then uh we cryogenically freeze it right then right so that's locking it in time uh the 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 process by which we make the concentrate does not apply any pressure or heat uh and then we make any an emulsion uh food grade or certified organic ingredient emulsion uh and then we take that and we dry it in a proprietary drying method that also does not use any heat uh to adulterate the compounds that are really bringing forth the unique aroma smell and effect of that cultivar 
How do they approach decarboxylation then? Wow, that's a very good technical question. Um, <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I can tell you that we're not decarboxylating terpenes at all. Uh, well, I think your emphasis on you said it, but you said it twice already, though. You said you don't apply heat, right? Isn't that essential to? You have to apply heat to th to THCA to decarboxylate it, but we don't yeah. apply, we don't apply heat to any volatile. THC is a rugged chemical. Yeah. You, you can you can beat it up. You can also you can also isomerize it. So CBD is too, and this is the big debate that we have now. It's like, well, it's hemp. Yeah, well, let's spin it into some D eight. Boom, and then they're like, oh, it's not delta nine. Uh, and that's fascinating. Is there a two pass system that you use in your extraction then, like a subcritical and a supercritical, to separate the terps from the the THC? There's multiple steps. Yeah, where there's there's a separation process. Sweet. Neat. And then when you uh, could you say cryogenically freeze it? So you, are you using shocking of nitrogen right away when it comes out? And then uh, uh, my my question is, when you do the because uh, I think most people don't understand to get to the, the point to where you're at, you, you're, you're you turn into a concentrate essentially. You're going from like uh, the flower to like say a is it like a shatter or is it like a uh, uh, it's a live concentrate. Is it? Nice. I, I'm just so amazed. Like the, it's, it's kind of like uh, pot porn, you know, when you watch it get all happening. Like when you watch a plant get squeezed into live resin, you're like, that fucking happens? That's so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> when you first see live resin, that is pretty interesting. It's like, wait, like if I was really strong, I could just pick up weed and like <laughs> squeeze it out. No way. You know, uh, no, you think you guys are talking rosin. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Rosin. Rosin. yeah. Not live resin. Rosin. Yeah, the premium live rosins take liquid nitrogen. Uh, uh, well, what you do is you take fresh flour and you make cold water hash, right? And then you take that trichome material that gets separated from the hash and you put it into a freeze dryer. And then you take that and put it in a tea bag. And then you press that under the, the heated press. And then out comes the honey, which is the live rosin. Yeah. But you don't have to go through all that process, right? You can just put it into a heat of two clamps and it'll squeeze it out. Like when people use the, uh, I mean, I'm talking like cheapy, generic, yeah. uh, I mean, just, you can science bitches. Yeah. <laughs> you You're know? not going to get very good rosin by pressing a fresh flower. Yeah. No, no. And not with just your measly human hands. I mean, no, no, uh, I got, I got a hair straightener. You got to put it between a hair straightener. You know, one of those clamp ones. It'll work. Yeah. First, but not way, to the first way I ever did it. <laughs> 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 that's amazing hey you know we, we we have a game we play sometimes and i know you guys have a strain that you use should we yeah. play your strain today sure sure magic uh-oh matt has been turned into a strain and now miggy has been turned into a strain so now what? i have been turned into a strain so uh matt how would you describe that strain it looks like commercial grade, uh, potentially indoor. I don't know. It could be some, could be greenhouse. Um, it's the way it's been trimmed. It's really hard to tell what kind of cultivar it is. Um, You'd be yeah. amazed to these people. <laughs> you know, I, 
you'd be amazed at some of these guys that can guess it pretty well. Uh, I'm not one to, uh, to to look at a bud and know like, okay, uh, the the lighter, you know, there's no hunter green. It's mostly of a light green with the uh, uh, bracts that are closely, like you said, trimmed across of it. So it looks like a type nug. Yeah, but some people amaze me when they can look at something and go, oh, oh, that's all the white trichomes. I mean, it's got nice little, you know, a little white on there. It looks oxidization, which is where the brown hue is coming from. You know, it's it, to me, it's it looks like commercial, commercial. Now, you, uh, what do you think about the ripeness of it? Um, you know, honestly, dude, I would smoke it, but I'm not a grower. I'm not like Matt. Matt said it was plucked too soon, and I'd have to. Matt's the kind of guy whose weed I would fucking love to smoke. Like you, you're, oh shit, already see these guys are like rain men. Yeah, Raphael, how? <laughs> Yep, got lemon skunk out of nowhere. We didn't even have to give hints. It's not like oh, it's, it's, it, 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 well, well, you guys know what it is. I was told what it was earlier. Yeah. <laughs> right, and that's one of your guys's. Uh, so I imagine now uh, each strain. Do you have any mixes? Like, do you mix them up sometimes? Like, oh, here's some some lemonades with the extra your three. You know, that's actually something that's starting to happen at the bar where mm. we one of the bartenders pioneer tape you can dust the rim with this stuff like, <laughs> like margaritas. Then, you know and then you and you put you put the powder to your mouth and it's explosive the flavor that comes through so now we're mixing the strains on the rim right uh you know to get that effect you certainly can drink pure water you can be drinking on a super lemon haze and have this kind of you know hazy traditional you know high and then switch to like a blue dream, which is really racy and uplifting or switch to like a venom OG, which is very relaxing. And in real time, you can steer your high around. You can't really do that with smoking as much. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the um, metabolic pathways then? Because this sounds more like an edible, but it's a, a peculiar edible or a, a novel one, at least. Uh, what's the, what's the, the processing time of, of drinking it? So we don't consider ourselves an edible. Right. You know, I think we need new nomenclature in the business now. This is a new category. Right. Emulsion based tech is by definition, the good emulsions, not really an edible. Right. Because the edible is that 1100 hydroxy high. Mm. Um, But in terms of metabolizing this, you know, we're bypassing first pass metabolism. Uh, so it's not, you know, uh, the it's majority. not hitting your liver. Yeah, it's not this wait and have it kick in later on thing. It's it's rapidly absorbed. You're feeling it in real time. It behaves very similar to alcohol in terms of onset and offset. Mm. Uh, it's a predictable experience, and you drink as many cocktails as you want to drink to when you get there. Um, and the doses of the cocktails are, are are dosed that way too, right? So we have the two point fives, fives and tens, you know, milligram drinks. So you know if you're somebody who's a experienced cannabis user you're probably drinking the, the tens right or you maybe a double ten you know right. you know to start the night uh, but if you're brand new to the get you know to this you're starting off with like a 2.5 could we get the, is you drink until you get to where you want to be what right. about like um can we do a nano emulsion with like a hemp not a hemp uh, a hops extract to kind of like mix that in to give it and like you mix it with a seltzer to give it more like a beer flavor or does it already have a fairly beer flavor or just more like you know weed it tastes just like premium live resin does when you dab it Nice. Pure water tastes like. Um, and when you, and every sip too, right? As long as you're not making it in a cocktail that's masking the flavor, you mix it with Coca Cola, yeah, you're not going to taste anything. It's going to taste mm. like Coca Cola. Uh, it's a very delicate, the flower is very delicate. Those flavors are delicate. Um, I, I think I feel like I'm missing an, a question you asked me. 
Is there still a pending question? No, I think you're good. Okay. No, I just I think it would be fantastic because then, uh, in, you know, in each one of these, what because like the you process it for like extending its shelf life as well. How long would it stay good in that uh, nano? It's not a nano emulsion. That emulsion form before it's been mixed. You mean the powder form? Yes. Yeah, in the powder, it's stable for years. Wow. wow. And it's very light to ship, you know. So one of the things people ask us, they're like, all right, you guys are trying to pioneer this cannabis spirits category. You're calling it dry spirits. Why not just put it in a fifth like ever like the alcohol people do, you know, and, you know, make it look like a make it look like booze. Right. You know, that'd be a lot easier for marketing. Right. You wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel. Well, the reality is, is that. Uh, we don't, water's the enemy. Yeah. We don't have a natural preservative in here. Booze is a preservative. Alcohol is a preservative. So you got to think about it like fresh squeezed juice, Mm. right? Mm. Like how do you preserve fresh squeezed juice? Hmm. You know, it's really, really hard to do that. You know, even the most premium uh, juices out there, like Odwalla or something like that, it's still pasteurized. It's still got cold chain distribution, right? So it's very problematic to try to pioneer the cannabis spirits category in liquid. You can do it, but you're not going to have the strain specific stuff, right? You're, you, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot of preservatives. You're going to have a lot of sugar, um, you know, and we're, we're all about just the minimal thing we can do to give you the plant. And then you build the cocktail. I, I think you may have a good point though, as far as like getting a new category for at least your product, right? Cause you have that powder form and you know, I've seen it many times here in Washington state. It's been one of the evolving uh, markets uh, during medical times. You, we've seen infused toothpicks and other stuff that other states are like, well, Oh, this is brand new. You're like, nah, man. Some dude thought about that. He just was selling it out of this garage in the side dispensary because he doesn't have the the money in pockets. But I would think like your your product should be considered like like super ex- extracts. You know, like a uh, uh, you know concentrate, super concentrate. Where you know uh, uh, at the end product is just the flower. My my question to you though is like, how much are these packets like for the for like the ten milligram? How much? Are, yeah, there we go. <laughs> what are we looking at? Thank you, Wilco Pillar. We sir again, so we sell it in boxes of ten, and those boxes will MSRP for the for the two point five meg you know box uh, the sticks that are two point five shot shots. Those are about fifteen dollars MSRP for the reds, which are the ten milligrams, which is a hundred megs a box. Those are to about twenty two. So you're talking anywhere from a dollar fifty to two dollars and twenty cents per drink. Bad. Hmm. No, that's not nine dollar cocktail night. <laughs> Well, the the lounges can take that, buy that wholesale though, and make sell twelve dollar cocktails all day long. See, but I I want that. I want I I when I talk to people about cannabis retail, I'm like, there's something missing in cannabis retail. How come I just can't go to the bar and be like, no, I just want a chillum of the lemon haze, please. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to enjoy it here. I didn't want the whole eighth, and then it's got to be prepackaged and everything for seventy dollars and get out of here. You know? Yep. Well, the, the, the lounge experience is constantly defining itself. Like here in Washington, it started out with um, bring your own product. You know, the guy supplied the place, and then what you were paying for was like the drinks that he, he sold in the back, or even the concentrates. People around us would sell concentrates, and you could buy your product there, but and then rent a dab rig. But there was no um, like drinks, which I think would be great to have like an infused, you know, and then like you're saying, Matt, like nobody wants to go eat just an infused dinner every day. Like, I mean, great. Sounds cool. 
but I mean, well, if you, can- I think, you know, we're we in the in the cannabis culture, we in the cannabis community, you know, we're used to the, all these different modalities and things like that. But I'd argue that a good 70, 80 percent of the addressable market isn't us. <laughs> right. It's oh, yeah. the best of the people out there. And those people are used to drinking, you know, and, and, and the truth is we're also used to drinking. Most people yeah. are used to drinking their recreational uh, products. You know, even even if you're not used to drinking uh, during the evening, you might be like, you know what? I'm thirsty. I'm going to have some water or some. T-. We're used to drinking as a species. Like, you know, did you drink yeah. enough water today? It's it's <laughs> something that we do so that if you could turn that experience into something that incorporates the cannabis plant, uh, that's uh, I mean, that's kind of different. I mean, I have never heard of that aspect of it. How old is this technology or how novel, you know? <laughs> Um, well, um, you know, there's several elements of the technology that have been around for a while. However, there are a couple components that we had to invent to make this possible. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there is, there's some proprietary tech inside pulling this off has a lot to do with the drawing process. Real. That's, that's awesome. And so you have some trade secret or some patentability on this method. Um, and it's brand new. And so, like, I have never gotten to have one of these products in the state of Illinois. We are not in Illinois right. and don't plan to be in Illinois until the walls come down. And we can ship it to you. <laughs> well, let's tune in in uh, four years when Cannabis Legalization News reports live from uh, Cannabis Legalization News of the 2025, whenever the heck they're actually going to vote on this. Hey, uh, what do you think Chuck Schumer means by soon? Because so far it's four and a half months. I don't know. I've been wrong so many times on guessing this stuff. I just don't even dare to bet anymore. But I could tell you, like, it's this is the closest it's ever been like the oh, yeah. now i mean we're definitely way over the hump and oh yeah like yeah but we get the more act to pass and then all of a sudden institutional money shows up and then who's the biggest lobby in dc it's not the weed lobby it's the bank lobby mm. you know so it's it feels very much like we're at the very end of this you know getting across the finish line yeah, but how much of it's going to get tied up and like taken by the uh, the MSO types that are like, okay, we're going to have our big, beautiful M- uh, uh, public offering finally, and then they'll all merge and they'll be like Budweiser, and then um, uh, I, I don't know how they're going to maintain that. Like, if your business model is limited market, and you can start shipping your products to people that have licenses and uh, you know interstate commerce, like you can if it's legal. I don't understand how the MSOs are going to be able to survive. It's a good uh, something. It's a question I've always had in my head, too. And I don't know if they've got a plan to just keep their state distribution on lockdown. But, yeah, I mean, if if you're if the people in Illinois want to be smoking Cali weed when it's legal, I'm yeah. pretty sure they're going to get it. And if Amazon wants to ship it over there, yeah, and, and you know there, there might be a good grower in Illinois who people like it's renowned and like, hey, I want to try that guy's weed. Only if he can export it one day, and that's the, that's the problem. I think the MSOs already shot themselves in the foot. Matt, you're in a perfect position that you control your product, you know your product, you run your your chain, and then once that one day available comes about, you, all you got to do is export. All these other cats are looking at each other like, how are you going to run the show? How are you going to run the show? Well, they got a different game plan right now. Their their game plan is be the biggest, the fastest, right? Yeah. 
you know, and when you're a billion dollar company and you have assets, you know, idle assets sitting in multiple states, you probably can find a financial way to get out from underneath that. <laughs> you know, buy buy some California companies and sell yeah. off your real estate. They'll, fi- I, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the Canadians are figuring it out, they're way over their skis with all the infrastructure they've invested in. <laughs> it's kind of funny though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I I just kind of wonder why they have to be so bad at like, you know, it's, it's free markets. You see, like if you just would have said, here's how you get a license, this would have happened normally. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to rig this and be like, no, it's got to be completely top down. We got to own the entire supply. Where do they learn this game? Yeah, well, I think it is, it, it, you know, not to po- point all the blame at them, but, you know, this all this whole industry. And, and this is why California is such a freaking mess, too, is that, you know, you we had to allow certain areas to opt out. We had to allow certain areas to tax at, at will. We had to sell the legislature on, you know, hey, this is going to make us a bunch of money. And here we are. Now we're in an overregulated, overtaxed situation. But that was because of prohibition, yeah. largely, not because like there was some, you know, guy behind the curtain, you know, yeah, planning yeah. this all out, right? Like, sweet, yeah. I'm making it difficult for everybody but me. I, mean, I don't see that, um, that scenario. I, I do see that, you know, it, it, the more complex a supply chain is and a business is, it, it favors the bigger companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's been a lot of give and take. Oh, hey, Lauren. Hey, sorry to cut you off. Uh, no, I was just going to say, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's Pride oh. Month. People are drinking a lot. This would be like the thing to drink, but can't get can't get it in Illinois, so that kind of sucks. But oh, thank you so much. Out, come on out to Cali, and we'll take care of you. Hell yeah, I'm down. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, yeah, October. If you guys are in Cali, just let me know, and I'll get you guys taken care of. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll be there in October. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Sunday. Cheers, everybody.